Hello, I'm Mark Olson. And I'm Yvonne Biarriev. Welcome back to a brand new season of The Envelope, the show where we dive in deep with your favorite stars. We've got some exciting and intimate conversations lined up for you this season, featuring top talent in TV and film. But before we get into our first interview, Mark, my friend, I've missed you. What have you been up to since last season? I mean, well, first of all, it's great to see you too. I really have missed our, you know, Zoom conversations. And uh, I mean, I wish I had something new to report, but I really have just been watching a lot of movies like usual. What about you? I've been living my best sad girl autumn like Adele is still on repeat over here. Um, So it's been good. Lots of candles, moody lighting. (laughs) It's too much. But we're back in the saddle here. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, and I can't think of a better way to kick things off than with today's guest, Kirsten Dunst. She's truly a veteran of Hollywood, having started her career when she was very young. And then she, of course, first gained wider recognition at only age 10 for her role alongside Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in Interview with the Vampire. Which one of you did it? Which one of you did it? Which one of you made me the way I am? What you are? A vampire gone insane that pollutes its own bed. And if I cut my hair again? It will grow back again. But it wasn't always so- You know, I never saw Interview with a Vampire. My mom thought I was too young for that, even though, like, Kirsten was probably my age as she starred in it. <laughs> but... You know, my first introduction to Kirsten was uh, Little Women. And, you know, my mom had gifted me that book when I was a kid. And then she took me to see it. And, oh, my God, it was like my imagination exploded. But I would go on to follow her career, obviously. You know, there's Bring It On. There's Virgin Suicides. But one of my favorites was Crazy Beautiful. Well, that's one of the things that's so remarkable about her career is that All through these different ages and phases of her life, she's had just terrific performances all along the way. I love her so much in the Watergate satire Dick with Michelle Williams. And, you know, it was exciting to talk to her about her collaborations with Sofia Coppola on The Virgin Suicides, Marie Antoinette and The Beguiled. And then, you know, on forward to, you know, even why after the big success that she had with Spider-Man, she kind of stepped back from acting for a couple of years as a mental health break. Yeah, I'm very excited to see her in Power of the Dog. Yeah, she's really been getting a lot of acclaim for her performance in The Power of the Dog, which, as this episode is coming out, is going to begin streaming on Netflix tomorrow. In the movie, she plays Rose Gordon, a widow in 1920s Montana who runs a small inn, and she is kind of whisked away on this fairy tale romance by a, a wealthy rancher named George, and she thinks she's going to be stepping into one kind of a life, but it turns out that she's sort of forced to also live alongside George's very cruel brother, Phil, who really preys on her insecurities. Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a man. Only another man. Phil is played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who also has been getting a lot of acclaim for his performance. And fun fact, the role of George is actually played by Kirsten's real-life partner, Jesse Plemons, who I believe she also met while shooting Fargo. 
And that's not her only faded connection to the film. It actually turns out that her collaboration with the director, the legendary Jane Campion, had been many years in the making. And it all started with a handwritten letter. I have it on my phone. I keep it saved in my email. And yes, she wrote it. Someone took a picture of it and emailed it. (laughs) So I never got the original copy. (laughs) Do you mind reading it? Can you? Oh, yeah, I don't mind. Hold on. Let me just look it up. Um... Mm -hmm. Okay. Letter from Jane Campion. Dearest Kirsten Dunst, I will be in LA in the second half of September. And if you have any liking for Alice Monroe's story, Runaway, I would love to meet. I have loved your work since I first saw you in Guess What, Little Women. Mr. Davis said it was as useful to educate a woman as to educate a female cat. Then Virgin Suicides. Wait five minutes. We had to wait until my parents were asleep. And, 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 dot, dot, Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake. There won't be a forward script, but a shooting document will be generated by myself and Laura Jones, and part of the process will include a workshop with the actors during which we will explore and... Expand the material. Explore and expand the material. I hope this shadow swan card finds you good plus happy. And look forward to meeting if this project interests you. Then know for your work, you're a queen. Love, Jane Campion. Oh, no. Thank you for your work. You're a queen. (laughs) Jane Campion. But you see how it's written. It's written really like (laughs) scroll. It's written in the shape of a swan. That's how I want to do all my (laughs) correspondence, though. I really like that. And so after all that time, and I don't know if you and her sort of stayed in touch, what was it like for you to finally work with her? Did it meet your expectations? Very much so. And then some. And I still kind of fan out when I'm hanging out with her sometimes to myself. Like, I mean, there are things embedded in my brain from the piano that will live with me for the rest of my life that are just like, so that immediately flood me with emotion when I think of them. And what was it about her earlier films that spoke to you? Like, what is it about, say, the piano that really means something? What do you take from that? The, the female performances in her films have been such an inspiration for me as an actress. Um, I think, you know, Kate Winslet and um, Holy Smoke. What do you think I'm going to break? Like all those other little chicken wing girlies you snap apart? I mean, the woman was like peeing in a field on camera. You know what I mean? It's just like, (laughs) I love female performances that are just let it all hang out. I mean, that's the kind of acting and that's the kind of, those are the kind of performances that inspire me. So uh, working with her, I knew that we'd get down to some real things. So to be part of one of her films was just life altering. And now I have her as a mentor. And you also have this long-running collaboration with Sofia Coppola. Yes. And I don't know if you saw there recently, Sofia and Jane did a conversation together at the New York Film Festival. And Sofia referred to Jane as like her sort of big sister filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that they like had a relationship. How do the two of them compare? I think Sophia's more reserved in the way that maybe my acting has been in her films and Jane is 
Hmm. I'm trying to find the right words. I'm sleep training a seven-month-old baby right now too. So I feel like just half my brain is just gone <laughs> because I'm of lack of sleep. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, Jane likes to get down and dirty, you know? Um, I think she wants to see the like the ugliest parts of, of people. I'll be honest. I don't really understand acting at all. Yeah. But I know for myself, like I would be like protective and defensive and it would be hard for me to reveal the parts that you're always hiding. Is it difficult for you to show those parts of yourself like in a performance? I like it. It's cathartic for me. I don't, I feel like I get to shed past things in my life and kind of exercise them out of myself. And I think it just helps me in my life at the end of the day, or that's the goal too, that a role could be actually cathartic for you. And do you have some sense of what the character and the performance of Rose like has done for you? Like, what do you feel like you've gotten from this? I think Rose is a very old part of myself that I had to rehash. Of just feeling really bad about myself or allowing myself to feel bad about myself because of other people's comments or control or, you know, I think that in your early 20s, it's very easy to get swayed into different things or, or think about yourself in a certain way, especially when you're putting yourself out there as an actress um, and you're, you're in a public light. And so there, there are definitely things I can relate to in terms of that feeling of, of feeling really badly about yourself. Hollywood, you know, it can be so difficult as far as, I guess, appearances and the way that, you know, the things that are projected onto you. I had seen you say how a producer, I think it was on Spider-Man, wanted you to fix your teeth. Yeah. And I'm wondering, yeah. like, how do you d deal with something like that? I mean, I just thought, um, that's never going to happen, girl. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I just, I, I think having Sofia Coppola as someone to look up to at 16 and having that be an age where you really just feel, you don't, I never felt like cool or pretty or, you know, I, I definitely didn't feel cool. Um, and Sophia kind of gave me confidence because she thought I was pretty and she loved my teeth. And she, um, she gave me confidence that at the time I didn't realize that made me feel good about myself for entering this like more male gaze in Hollywood. So I always felt like I could dress the way I wanted to and I didn't have to like do anything to try and be like a Hollywood blonde, like fix my teeth perfectly or, or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't feel that pressure because Sophia thought I was beautiful and I thought she was the coolest, you know? Mm -hmm. In The Power of the Dog, I mean, Rose definitely lacks confidence. And are you sort of like drawing back on some of those real life experiences? It's kind of, I, I heard Jane say that she felt that Rose is everything you struggled against, this kind of pressure to be just like a pretty pleasant person. Yeah, it's very much not my personality. So it was a very old part of, there were definitely some things that I had to rebring up of just feeling insecure or 
not feeling good about myself. So there, there's that part, but then there's just other parts. It's, that's just a very small part because Benedict and I don't actually have many scenes together. So I kind of, I had to create my own monster within myself because listen, some whistling's not going to make my hair stand on end. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, that's not really going to do it for me. Like some boots through a hallway isn't going to make me uh, lose my mind, you know? So I had to really create my own, uh, my own version of that, my own house of horrors, you know? You mentioned earlier that roles can often be cathartic for you. Was there something cathartic for you and Rose? I don't know. Rose wasn't really, like, joyful to play. And then when I'd come home, I just would think about my work that day. And I don't know. I, I wasn't as I wasn't as confident. Um, and I'm happy I Jesse was there with me because I had someone to, like, give me a hug or, like, have lunch with. And I remember this one scene I did and... Noriko, who did my makeup and my wig in the movie, I've worked with on a couple films. And I just remember like crying in her arms one day just after some takes because it it doesn't stop just because, you know, someone else cut. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, my tears just dry right up and okay, I'm out to lunch. Like, I just felt with Rosa, it was a very painful experience to play her. Not a role I'd migrate to if it wasn't in the hands of like Jane Campion. And why were you crying that day? What was... Do you remember what the scene was or what? It was the scene. Hmm. I felt like a scene in the bedroom, but then I can't remember what scene was in the bedroom where I was like crying. <laughs> so I can't <laughs> I've seen the movie twice, but I kind of block out my, when I watch the movie, I kind of zone out on myself, I think. It must be hard for you to, especially I think with Jesse being in this movie mm-hmm. i'm going to imagine you enjoy watching him in movies mm-hmm. it must be difficult to have like parts of it you don't want to watch and parts of it you do want to watch yeah i i wish i could watch this as just like a jane campion fan because i i'm sad i don't get that experience <laughs> yeah. um i mean i'm when i watch jesse and i on the mountaintop i'm like oh my god we're so dorky because we have to act so reserved with each other and we have a child together. And it's just it's just funny to pretend there's no history with someone you have a tremendous amount of history with. It's just weird. <laughs> well, tell me more about that scene that you mentioned that is kind of the like the romantic high point of the film. The two of you, you're going for the first time to his family's ranch. You pull the car over. What is it, George? I want to say how nice it is not to be alone. And you stop, you have the camera swirls around you. It's a beautiful moment. What is that like to be doing that with your actual partner? Like, I don't know if it feels more romantic, if it feels silly somehow. Like, what was doing that scene like? It's not romantic when there's a bunch of crew around. You know what I mean? Maybe if we were alone on the mountaintop and, like, having, like, I don't know, a nice cocktail, it'd be great. But it 
was just like, he's in his little outfit and I'm teaching him how to waltz. And it's all really old timey and cute. But it's also his line when he's like, it's just so nice to not be alone is I think one of the best lines of the film. When he did that, I just, I cried off camera. I was just, I was so moved by his performance that day. And, um, and also I feel like I wasn't that good of a dance teacher either <laughs> at Waltz. Some, I, I mean, I got it together. I, I did it. I figured out how to teach him. One, two, three, to the side. One, two, three, and back. One, two, three. I told you I'd teach you. <laughs> Do the two of you have a similar process? Like, can you sort of rehearse together, practice together? Like, what was that experience like, especially here with going down to New Zealand, like making the film together with the two of you? Yeah, I mean, we we fell in love creatively first. He was like a creative soulmate to me and the way we both work and on Fargo. I just I knew after two weeks, I, I didn't remember saying this, but one of my best friends told me that I said to her that I will know this man for the rest of my life. I just know it um, just because I felt such an immediate connection Working together on this, it's just easy. We love working together. So it's it, it's really, really easy to work with each other. We're very honest. We're very, like, down to try anything. No one judges anybody. No one's egos. There's no ego. There's It's just how do we make this the most alive together and the most real? And then um, I've been working with my dreams for quite some time now. And I introduced the method to Jesse. And then Jane and Benedict did it for the first time with someone else on this film. Can you explain that to me a yes. little bit? Like, I don't totally understand what that process is. It's, it's just checking in with what your unconscious mind thinks about what you're doing or how to approach something. So I'll give you an example. Talking to my inner self. If it is in your will, please reveal to me in a dream mannerisms, you know, like whatever I want to figure out, like what she looks like, like anything my inner self will give me. And then if I go to bed, I write down the dream and then I analyze it with Greta, who I work with. Her name's Greta Seacat. And we figure out, we basically decode it between her and myself. And so like something that I got in a dream for Fargo was there was a Scooby-Doo tape in my dream. And we were talking about Scooby-Doo, me and Greta, and she was like, well, what do you think about? I was like, well, they all run in this like little funny way. You know, they like run off together. They scamper together in this, this way all together. Hey, Scooby, we gotta hide. And she's like, well, there you go. There's Peggy's walk. That's a really fun clue because that's, it's a really in your face one, which I love when you get those. Um, so yeah, it's just, Things like that, that ground you so much in who you're playing that like you don't need to look anywhere out for answers for your character. You know everything. So by the time you get to set, you're so confident in the work that you've done. It gives you so much freedom. 
And when did you start working with Greta? Like, when did you sort of start working on this process? I started working with her on a film called All Good Things, which was a movie Andrew Jarecki did um, about Robert Durst. I took that script to some of the top acting teachers around, and she was just the person that was um, the most for me in her approach. I want to back up just a little bit in that before you had done that movie, you'd kind of taken a break from acting for a couple of years. And I want to know a little bit about that time, what it was like for you and what sort of brought you back to acting. You know, when you do it for so long, I started doing this as a little girl. I mean, people know me from interview, but I started before that. And things have to change. Like I learned about movies while I was making movies. Like I didn't know about my taste in film. I was learning it as I was growing in this industry. And I think the older you get, I mean, you know what, when something means so much to you too, you can work yourself up. And that's really, when when I did have to audition when I was older for certain things, I think it was just because it meant so much to me and I wanted the part so badly that like, it was worth auditioning, but it also came with like a lot of stress. <laughs> So um, in doing that, I think more and more I realized, oh, the way that I'm approaching this isn't giving me anything back. Like it felt like more outputting for other people or like performing for the director or something like that. It just was meaningless for me. And you've been pretty open talking about that during that time you were treated for for depression. Back at that time, I mean, you know, 2008, 2011, like people were definitely not talking about mental health issues as much as they are now. Mm. Was it a challenge for you to decide to talk about that publicly and to be open about it? I kind of felt like, wow, it's so personal. It's such a personal thing. But yeah, I, I do feel like it's so mishandled. Um, I personally was so terrified of taking an antidepressant at that time, like terrified. And it really just helped me like clear something so I could start to see things again. So I'm willing to talk at length with anyone who's struggling. And was there a moment where you sort of recognized that you were having a problem that you needed help? It wasn't really a, a quote unquote problem. I wasn't like using drugs or anything. It was just literally my brain like got depressed you know what I mean it was just like the old ways of being and working within the world didn't work anymore um I just never really got angry I was just like never really angry about things so that is the definition of depression pretty much like anger turned inwards (laughs) Is that still something that you draw from when you're playing a character like Rose? Or also, I think so much of your part in Melancholia. Yeah. That character seemed like it really was drawn from your experiences. Like, is it that much of a one-to-one connection to some of the things you've been through? I think it that being given the gift of Melancholia and being asked to play that and, you know, 
Lars has been through a lot of depression in his life. And because we both know it so well in our own ways, it was such a freeing experience. Like I had the best time making Melancholia, if that it makes any sense. Like in order to play depressed, it's like you can't be depressed. You know, you have to be in such a good place and so open in order to like access these things. And so... I have to say that doing that was probably the most cathartic for me at the end of the day. You need to wash, right? I'm so tired. Come on, try. I can't just think you'll like it. And when you came back to acting, did you feel recharged? Like whether it was working with Greta or it was, you know, when you worked on Melancholy, like did you feel like something new happening for you coming out of that period? I think I felt pretty fragile at first. And so I had to rethink and restart studying acting in a different way than I had learned it before. I had worked with coaches before and you know, worked on and I had my certain ways of doing things, but those ways didn't work anymore. And so I had to find a new way in, or I would probably not be doing it if I hadn't. Um, I felt so like such a revitalization of why I do what I do and loving what I do again. And um, it became something that now is for myself rather than for anyone else. You also have talked a few times about the fact that you feel like you haven't totally been recognized by your peers or like, the, I mean, in some ways the fact that you have not won any kind of major awards except for when you won Best Actress at Cannes for Melancholia. And again, it's something that not a lot of people talk about. Like, it's it's so interesting to hear you be so open to talk about that. Well, I was kind of funny. I didn't think it would be such a big deal. I was talking to a guy who was so sweet. He was such a fan. I was like, well, maybe they just think of me as the bring it on girl. You know, I... Yeah. I it was such a flippant comment. I didn't mean it like, oh, nobody likes me. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't know. All this stuff's so weird. It's like, I think that at the end of the day, it's just like a magical little thing of like being in the right movie at the right time and everyone liking it. La, 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 la. You know, it's like a lot of little things for people to get behind a film. And um, I'm just lucky I got to be in a Jane Campion movie. I guess one way to put it as a question is like, do you have a role that like you think is like your best work or that means a lot to, to you? Like I think always of Marie Antoinette and the way that that movie, you know, got kind of a bad rap when it first came out, but now there's been a couple of anniversary pieces recently. It's really much beloved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess, listen, it's nice to be ahead of your time. And Sophia made movies when it wasn't cool for like female director, like, you know, and then, oh, other directors or other art comes out now. And Marie Antoinette kind of gave permission for those kind of things to be made, I think. And not like a really self-serious period film. And she kind of gave other people permission to have fun with the genre. I mean, other films have before previously, but hers was the next generation of that. Um, listen, the fact that, that it's appreciated now and, and it's lived on is so... It's wonderful that people have found it and love it. Um, and at the time, yeah, it was a bummer because of the movie I saw when I watched it. I loved it. 
I was like, this is so cool. This is one of the most freeing, interesting, you know, takes on history I'd ever seen. So I, I just felt like, am I wrong? Like, am I crazy? <laughs> Do I have bad taste? Am I nuts? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> turns out people like it. Because <laughs> it does seem like with Power of the Dog that just like you were saying that the timing of this seems like things are really aligning for the the movie, which must be exciting. Um, you know what? I, I don't really think about it too much because it's just not, I, I just, yeah, I just can't. So it feels like if some, you know, I get nominated or something like that, incredible. But like, if not, like I got to work with Jane Campion, you know what I mean? It's that trumps any other thing to me. What does success mean to you now? Like, do you find that over the last few years, maybe especially if you started a family that those ideas of like what success is have changed? Of course. Yeah. The priorities and also just, um, I, I definitely have films that I'm very proud of. And I think that's, you know, if you have some of those that you can say that you're proud of, that's successful. But yes, your priorities change because like right now I'm not sleeping through the night and I have sweatpants on during our Zoom and like I was holding my baby feeding him before I came to talk about myself. So I like watch bad cartoons all day. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm nourishing my artistry right now or anything like that. I go back to work in February but I, I haven't worked since um, Power of the Dog. I got pregnant and just, you know, hung with my children. Are you looking forward to going back to work? Very much so, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's the hardest job in the world is to be at home with children. <laughs> it really is. Any mom knows exactly how I feel. <laughs> it's very hard. And then a, f a few years ago, you were going to be directing an adaptation of The Bell Jar, and then it seems like that sort of fell apart. Yeah. But are you still interested in, in directing? I think I will one day. I think it takes so much dedication and I'm not in that place with how young my children are to do that. Um, but one day I will. I'm just not prepared to focus that much energy on on directing just yet. Mm -hmm. I think your older child is like the age basically that you were when you started performing. Like modeling, baby modeling, basically. Like not really. Yeah. <laughs> Not really performing. Um, I, you know, for the first time, I kind of get it because my child's really expressive. And and so I kind of understand how people would be like, well, you should put him in a commercial and like get some money for college. And um, he's very expressive, though. I remember one day he came out of school and it was so like, mommy. And I was like, oh, God, you're so the actor's kid right now. Like both Jesse's mom and my mom, because Jesse was a child actor, too. They're dying to put him in something. Dying. Dying. I was like, you, then you have to sneak him out of the house and go, <laughs> go to some audition if you really want to. They're like, people need to see this child. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. It's funny. But how do you feel about it? It's funny. I feel like a lot of times actors have this attitude of like anything but. They want their child to do anything but. I love what I do. I'm very lucky. I would just want my child to really study it and read and like, work on his craft like if you want to do it then you got to work hard that's what I would say and I mean it's not like I'm like going to push my kid into early act child acting or anything but if they showed interest I mean both their their parents are actors it's kind of like I'd be surprised if they 
didn't have something, one of them, you know, it's like, it's part of your DNA at this point, kid, you know? <laughs> well, Kirsten, thank you so much for, for your time and your candor. Oh, thanks, Mark. <laughs> Was I too candid? No, that's what, that's what we're looking for. Okay, okay. That's a wrap on our first episode of the season. The Envelope is hosted by me, Mark Olson. And by me, Ivan Villarreal. If you haven't already, stop what you're doing right now and follow The Envelope on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode featuring White Lotus star Jennifer Coolidge. This episode was edited and produced by Hibbet Elorbani and Asal Isanapur. Our executive producer is Shawnee Hilton. Our engineer and composer is Mike Heflin. Special thanks to Clint Schaff, Richard Hernandez, Gabby Fernandez, Jeff Berkshire, Elena Howe, and Matt Brennan. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.